Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you, as always, by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined, as always, by Nick Horwat, and boy, did the Pittsburgh Penguins come out with a vengeance against the New York Islanders. Horwat, I love that you're wearing a blue hat with a little orange polo sign on it, a little little dig at the New York Islanders following a 7 to nothing victory for the Pittsburgh Penguins on Long Island, certainly flipping the script, as I talked about yesterday, on their game last year when they opened up the post-holiday break against the New York Islanders and losing six to or five to one or six to one, something like that in that fashion. But it was very similar in the opposite end. We'll see if the Pittsburgh Penguins can carry that momentum. But a huge night for a lot of players. We'll talk about Chris Letang making history in the NHL. Obviously Evgeny Malkin making a little bit of history of his own. Valtteri Pustin getting in on the history making and Marcus Pedersen, some personal history for him as well. We'll talk about all of that on this show, not to mention that ahead of it, the Pittsburgh Penguins had switched up their forward lines. We'll talk about Drew O'Connor, Valtteri Pustin, and where they played last night. And then we'll end it all with the Pittsburgh Penguins answering Kyle Dubas's call back on December 11th, how they've performed since then, and why they could be a newfound team and a team that is on the rise in the NHL. Let's start off with obviously reacting to last night's victory. And Horwat, I have a cautionary tale for everyone out there. Obviously, sports betting is massive in the United States now, and obviously, I worked in sports betting and obviously in sports betting content for two plus years, for those that know. So last night, I throw a couple bucks on the game. Three, Three-leg parlay for the Pittsburgh Penguins to score first, to win the game, which very easy, and Sidney Crosby anytime goal scorer. I lose. I lose. The only way that the Penguins can win 7 to nothing, and I still have a bad thing to say, is losing money on it. And if you would have told me that the Penguins were going to go into Long Island or onto Long Island and win 7 to nothing against the Islanders and Sidney Crosby wouldn't produce a single point, I would have said you're crazy. But here we are, and here I am uh, without some money in my pocket. The one player, yeah, he's the one player you would have expected to factor in on multiple of those points considering that's the team he has the most points against Mm -hmm. but here we are we're gonna end up diving into and discussing what turned out to be the Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin and Tristan Jari and Marcus Pedersen and Valtteri Pustin and show did I miss a name in there Ricardo Uh, Kell got back on the score sheet that was cool yeah goals Uh, in back-to-back games that's good what a wild day what a wild night I mean the Islanders are second in the Metro I believe and yet they are and yet did that, did that to their fans coming out of the winter break. And, oh boy, what a not fun time for the Islanders fans. But also, on the flip side, everything seems to be waking up for the Penguins except for the power play. And these are all things we'll discuss, but Sidney Crosby not finding it at all? That's got to feel good for the Islanders fans, right? Hey, we held him off. Yeah, and you, 
you look at what the Penguins were able to do, a 7 nothing victory, and, and I just want to, we're going to gush about the Pittsburgh Penguins' performance probably over the next 30 to 45 minutes, but I do want to mention the same thing that I mentioned following the Penguins' 7 nothing loss a couple weeks ago to the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's one game. You have to leave it in the past. The Pittsburgh Penguins probably going to leave it in the past, probably not even going to mention it all too much, maybe on their off day, or they, pl- they practice today, so they're not even getting a day off. They're working on, you know, progressing and getting ready for the St. Louis Blues on Saturday, but it's the same thing in the fan base. You had to forget that 7-0 loss. That was an aberration. That was a, hey, all things went well for the Maple Leafs. All things went poorly for the Penguins. Same thing goes for yesterday when it comes to the New York Islanders and the Pittsburgh Penguins. All things went right for the Penguins. All things went wrong for the Islanders. You kind of have to scratch that, take the two points, say thank you very much, and move on to the next one. Do you know the Islanders already have nine overtime losses this year? Yes, yes. <laughs> they, they've they lost in overtime a lot. It's wow. crazy. Them and then go look at the... Seattle Kraken have a lot of overtime losses as well. I think they're up into the double digits. There's, they're at nine as well. They're at nine as well. They're out of a playoff spot because I was just looking at the uh, Metro and the Eastern standings considering the Penguins have 16 wins now, which is the same amount as the Islanders, by the mm-hmm. way. And yet, Islanders are second in the Metro. Penguins are a few points out. It's those nine overtime losses. The Islanders only lost in regulation nine times. Uh, one of very few teams to still have fewer than 10 regulation losses. So there's some things cooking there, I guess, but uh, there are times of the season where fans want their head coach fired, and I'm sure this was another example of one of those games. But at the same time, they still have, for what it's worth, a good defensive game that can get them some slow, low, some low-scoring victories. They're a minus 11, by the way, in goal mm-hmm. differential. Yeah, Mike Rupp mentioned a couple times yesterday that their defense has not actually been that good. It's a lot of their goaltending. So, I mean, we're, we're not here to talk about the Islanders. The Penguins just blew them out of the water, and we'll see if the Penguins can do that again on Sunday. But, you know, we've gone down a rabbit hole long enough. We've pushed it off long enough. Let's talk a little bit about Chris Letang's performance last night. Became the first defenseman in NHL history to score five points in a period. Not Bobby Orr, not Nick Lidstrom, not Eric Carlson. But Chris Letang becomes the first defenseman to accomplish that feat. Not only does he do that, but he goes on to set a new career high in points in a game for Chris Letang. Six assists in this one. Last time he had that many points, or at least close to that many points, was five assists back in a game in 2015 against the Winnipeg Jets. Something has just seemingly clicked for Chris Letang this season, not just on the offensive side of the puck, but on the defensive side of the puck, which is what we've mentioned the previous 32 games. What have you seen from Chris Letang, and and how impressive is his performance so far this season? It's been unreal. His performance this season has been unreal. They're, the Penguins are giving him, have given him a new task, which is to play a bit more defensive-minded, considering the Penguins just acquired Eric Carlson. He can take some of that offensive load um, off of Chris Letang and make Chris Letang more of a full ice player. He can play defense in one end. I mean, they're giving him a bunch of time on the penalty kill, and he's exceeding in that role. Uh, Meanwhile, he still has the offensive talent to do something like this. It's not like that's going away. It's not like they're telling him to stop scoring. They're just not even sheltering it. It's just there's another guy there that can take some of the load that if Letang isn't, you know, is seeing a dip in offensive production, they have Eric Carlson to take over for that. And yet, nine points in his last two games has vaulted him over Carlson in the team point standings. Uh, you know, Eric Carlson is still, it seems like still getting used to everything on this team, but Chris Letang has stepped up and not only 
still recording offensively. Like I said, he just vaulted over uh, one of the greatest offensive minds in, on the blue line in NHL history. But he is also really honing his game defensively on the penalty kill, on even on the second unit of the power play. He's making some noise there a little bit. Um, he's found a nice little spot for himself. It, like he was playing with Ryan Graves and maybe was holding him back a little bit, but now with Marcus Pedersen on his on his uh, on his wing, things are clicking again a little more. And what we're seeing from Chris Letang is essentially yet again at the age of 36 another career year not by numbers this time genuinely by actual defense and playing at the top of his game playing his position and also still scoring at that rate because that like I said that skill isn't going away that'll still be there yeah Danny Shirey of I think it's breakdowns and breakaways and something like that uh, I can't remember his actual handle sorry about that Danny but he's he's gonna put out a piece apparently soon about Eric Carlson and his impact on the Pittsburgh Penguins I'm interested to see that because a lot of people have a negative opinion about Eric Carlson right now because he's not scoring at a commensurate clip which is what he was expected to do but I think what he brings is what as we've said about you know, Jeff Petrie in the past is he allows Chris Letang to have less ice time. Jeff Petrie, not as much as, as what Eric Carlson has been eating up for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Eric Carlson has more total ice time than Chris Letang does, but it's allowing Chris Letang to average less total ice time in 24 minutes and 40 seconds this season than he has in eight of the last nine seasons. Now I get that that might be a small factor for some people, but considering the fact that Chris Letang doesn't have to worry about going out there 29, 30 minutes a game, he's allowed to preserve his energy. He's allowed to go all out on every single shift. And what that's shown you is that he's not only being able to take advantage of that in the offensive end, nine points in the last two games does obviously help his numbers there, but the defensive numbers this season, he's allowed to go all out in the defensive zone as well, not to mention that he is on pace to set a career high in shorthanded ice time. You mentioned he's been great on the penalty kill. He's been playing a lot on the penalty kill. It's not like they just asked Chris Letang, hey, we're going to start putting you out there a little bit on the penalty kill because we have Carlson now who's going to play more power play time and we have less penalty killing defensemen. He's out there second behind only Marcus Pedersen and shorthanded ice time for the Pittsburgh Penguins this season. They're asking him to take on not just a role, but a very large role on this penalty kill. And it's helping Chris Letang defensively. And it's also helping the Pittsburgh Penguins because right now they're back to ninth in the NHL on, on the man disadvantage. And a large part of that is Chris Letang. Large part of that is also his defense partner, Marcus Pedersen. And you mentioned it also that, you know, Marcus Pedersen being out there, that's going to allow Chris Letang to get a little bit more high risk, make a little bit more of an offensive push. And if he's going to do that, I don't think he's going to have nine points in two games all the time, but he's certainly going to score more often than he did in the first 30 games of the season. Yeah, he'll find that rhythm again. He'll find that familiarity. He'll find that rhythm. And having Marcus Pedersen on that side there, it's allowing Chris Letang to do so many different things, whether it is staying home at the blue line and playing a good defensive uh, mindset there or pinching in, making good plays, and, um, I mean, it, it was a quiet six assists for the most part, right? I mean, the one on Valtteri Pustin's first goal was obvious that was him. The one on Malkin's goal was obvious that was him. I mean, the, the impressive part of, uh, were they all primaries? I didn't even think of that part. I know they were all at five on five, uh, but now there's a secondary, two secondaries. So, chipping in in more than one area of the ice, it's just, it's really impressive what he was able to um, you know, really 
wake up in this uh, wake up in this game, and having Marcus Patterson on the wing, it the thing the thing that I wake or what I come around to with this situation is Marcus Patterson being back on the first line uh, opens up a gaping hole that Ryan Graves is unable to really fill here. That's mm-hmm. sort of the dark side of this. Is that yeah, it's great that. Patterson and the Tang have their familiarity and their chemistry on the first unit, but Eric Carlson's still trying to build chemistry with the team overall. And so is Ryan Graves, who is having a not-so-fun year. And it's just... In this situation is opening up more questions for what Ryan Graves is... is mm-hmm. What they're going to have to do with him. And um, okay, it goes without saying we're impressed with what Patterson and Latang can do together, but it's opening... Uh, it's opening a hole that cannot be ignored. Yeah, it's certainly something that's going to need to be addressed in some way, shape, or form. Obviously, the Pittsburgh Penguins, as much as maybe they'd like to trade him away, they're probably not going to be able to trade him away unless somebody wants to take on that contract. But, you know, I just I just am baffled by it to some extent. Like last night, a couple more turnovers for Ryan Graves, and I just look at it and I say, how can somebody make so many dumb mistakes? Like, it's not like he's a dumb player. And it's right. not like he's not a player that has shown that he can play at the NHL level. He's been an NHLer for the past five-plus seasons on two different organizations. I just don't understand how he can make so many mistakes. Like, how is that such a large part of his game? And I, I get it. That's a question that everybody listening to this is probably saying, we would like you to answer that. Uh, but the answer is, is, you know, it's not a simple one. How does he make this many mistakes? How is he not? I mean, he's he's improved. There's been better games, but he's still overall not a, a defenseman that is worthy of that contract. And it's not like the Penguins, as we've mentioned in the past, it's not like the Penguins were the only ones offering that contract. Other teams were offering him. He was thought of as one of the top defensive prospects on the open market last year. And yet he's performing as if he should be fighting for a position spot right now. I mean, it's a bad position to put yourself in, but the Penguins are fortunate that they have a guy in Marcus Pedersen that can go up and be that number one defenseman on the left side. And they have a guy in Chris Letang and Eric Carlson that can carry the load on the other side of things in the top four. So it's a it's a sticky situation that I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen. You obviously would love to see Ryan Graves turn it around and catch his footing, and so that might just not be something that you see this season. It, which would be har- which would be harmful, really. It, it's a lot yeah. of money and a lot of years to, you know, funnel into the guy that you expected to be, uh, the younger version of Brian Dumoulin to bring that steady defensive game so Crystal Tank can go play however he likes. I mean, that's exactly what we're seeing Marcus Pedersen allow Crystal Chris Tank to do, and that's what I mean. No matter who Eric Carlson is playing with, he's going to play his game. It is up to whoever his line mate is to account for that and so far he really ryan graves really hasn't and that's going to be something that needs to be worked on i don't know if you can even plot ryan graves down to the third pairing shelter his minutes again but that's a lot of money to shelter i hopped on the locked on penguins podcast with hunter hodes uh yesterday and two days ago and discussed the idea of him being healthy scratched which again is another idea but can you healthy scratch that much money really not for very long. Exactly. You can sit him down for a game or two, but here's the other thing. Who do you play on the second pairing in his place? Who do you play with Eric Carlson in his place? I don't think there's anybody in the organization 
that can go into that role for an extended period of time. Yeah, maybe John Ludwig could play there for a game or two. Maybe P.O. Joseph could play there for a game or two and it would not go horribly wrong. But there's nobody in the organization that's that caliber that can play there for an extended period of time. So maybe that's what Kyle Dubas needs to go out and do. He needs to go out and get somebody that can play top four minutes, somebody that could just be the defensive stalwart next to Eric Carlson. And you do the same thing the Penguins did, you know, back in the day, and back in the days only a couple of years ago, but back in the day with Jack Johnson, you put him on the third pairing. What do they do with Cody Cece? You put him on the third pairing. And at one point, Cece and Johnson was a Cece and Johnson at one point was a half decent third pairing for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now you were overpaying for that third pairing, but they weren't actively hurting you. And eventually the Penguins said, you know what? CC walked in free agency because we got him a really good season. We got him a really good deal with Edmonton. But Jack Johnson went back to being the pumpkin that he was. And the Penguins ended up buying out his contract and are still dealing with the cap ramifications of that. So, you know, what do the Penguins do with Ryan Graves? It's not a good situation. They might be able to put a Band-Aid over it. But at the end of the day, it's a bullet hole. And mm-hmm. you need to fix the bullet hole with something other than a Band-Aid. And right now, putting him on the third pairing or healthy scratching him for a couple games, those are band-aids, and that's not going to help in the grand scheme of things. The Penguins need more from their $4.5 million defenseman. Um, but, you know, we, we could talk about this till the top cows come home. We <laughs> talked about it on Monday. You mentioned you talked about it on Locked On Penguins. I suggest everybody go check that out. That was Tuesday's episode. In the absence of our episode, you could have had still Nick Horwat still on, on Boxing Day. But, you know, at the end of the day, people are amazed at what Sidney Crosby has done at 36, and rightfully so. I mean, he's on Hart Trophy watch. I went and looked at the the odds. He's gone from 18th up into the top 10 now. I believe he's consensus 9th on Hart Trophy odds, but what Chris Letang is doing should not be overlooked, and yes, the Norris Trophy is given to the defenseman that scores the most points, and there's a lot of defensemen that have scored more points than Chris Letang. He's currently 18th among defensemen with his 23 points, but if you're looking at overall game, if you're looking at how impressive he has been, not to mention, and I get it, how often can you bring it up? Not to mention, he has had two strokes in his lifetime. He is 36 years old. Not only is he scoring now nine points in two games, which gets his counting stats to where they need to be, but he's playing the penalty kill. He's second on the Penguins in ice time, playing 24, 25 minutes a night. His consideration for the Norris should start to to gain interest, and something like last night will start to open up eyes around the league, but it's not his offensive numbers that should have him in that conversation. It's his defensive numbers, and it's his responsibility, and it's the way that he's playing and the level that he's playing and has played all season long. It's the reason why Nicholas Lindstrom has, what, five? Yeah. It's the reason why Mark Giordano has anything. Yeah, it's because they're able to play both sides of the ice. Nicholas yeah. Lindstrom was a master at that. He, We don't really think, at least I don't, think of Nicholas Lindstrom too much as an offensive defenseman. He was a true... Uh, puck movers and score definitely but also just stood out immensely on the defensive side of things that that was that that's the name of the position and that's what he played and then on those 90s red wings teams in those 2000s red wings teams was able to feed and become also an offensive talent with a ton of help from his friends and that's sort of what is taking off for chris letang the situation this season he's having this career year defensively and is, at least in the last couple of games here, exploding offensively. Um, I'm not sure if this will pick up the Norris Trophy conversation. Probably Yeah, because there is so much um, good stuff going on defensively, even by, going on defensively, even by Noah Dobson of the Islanders, by the way. 
yeah. kind of season he's having. Second on that team in scoring, not just defensive scoring. Second in scoring on that team. Uh, and then there's Quinn Hughes having a great year. I think Cal uh, mm-hmm. McCarr will always have a great year. So, I mean, if Latang can sustain this and find ways to continue to produce offensively throughout the rest of the year and maintain a great level of defensive play, maybe that he'll, he'll sneak into that conversation. But he's, he's got to really make a, a lot more noise for it to come, I think. Yeah. Uh, but I like the way your mind thinks. So I like the way your mind is rolling with it. He just needs a little bit more push. Plus... Think of it the way a lot of <clears throat> a lot of people began the season with Sidney Crosby in the MVP conversation. If he's able to do certain things, it almost turns into a legacy award this year. You know, Ma- yeah. Crosby doesn't need to be the NHL's leading scorer or even in the top five or whatever. He just needs to remain consistent as at his age, pull the Penguins back into the playoffs, mostly at his hands, and then a lot of the voters will look at that and say, well, look what he did at this age with this team that he has. If Chris Letang can do something similar, it turns into that sort of situation. He doesn't need to be the best scorer on the blue line or even the best defensive defenseman. He just needs to have that great two-way game that helped boost this team that missed the playoffs back into the postseason and maybe even a good spot in the postseason. And next thing you know, it's not necessarily the best. I mean, it is, but it's also an award of for Latang. Here's something you haven't gotten your entire career and may have deserved once or twice. Yeah. Here you go. Uh, why do you think Fleury got the Vesna a couple years ago? <laughs> well, I mean, he was also outstanding. He also was, but... <laughs> I mean, that, that's the thing, too. This Chris Letang is performing outstanding right now. And it's 33 games. You still have a long way to go. 49 or 49? Yeah, 49 left to go in this season. But, you know, I was trying to look it up. I was, I was hoping that maybe Nick Lidstrom's last Norris Trophy was 36, and it could be a nice, you know, hey, look, Lidstrom won it at 36. Latang wins his first at 36, but no, uh, Nick Lidstrom won his final of seven Norris trophies in 2011 at the age of 41 years old. So he was just a different animal. Obviously one of the best defensemen in the history of, of hockey there. Seven. Whoops. <laughs> I mean, hey, when, you, when you're looking at greatness, sometimes it gets hard to count because you can just lose count of how many great seasons a player like that has had because it just it all goes into one. It's not like he had up and down. He was just constantly great, but... Um, <laughs> He won it three times in a row twice. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just a ridiculous, a ridiculous. I think I have his book behind me somewhere. But, you should you know, if you don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I do have his book somewhere. I don't know if it's directly behind me or not. But, I mean, Chris Letang, crazy performance at the age of 36 and a crazy night last night making history, becoming the first defenseman in NHL history to score five points in a singular period. Great night for him. Great night for the Pittsburgh Penguins in general. We'll talk about, you know, the other players, you know, everybody else that was on the ice last night because a lot of Penguins had stellar performances. We'll talk about them following this quick break welcome back to the tip of the iceberg podcast brought to you as always by inside the penguins.com the end of 2023 is near the beginning 
of 2024 is just as near because that's how the calendar works. But the Pittsburgh Penguins are still trying to figure out the best combinations that will work for this team. It's a work in progress. It's been a work in progress since the drop of the puck this season, 33 games in. The only thing that they know for certain is that Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel together are one of the best duos in the National Hockey League, if not the entire world. But... They did make some line changes yesterday, and line changes that I personally questioned seeing them early in the afternoon certainly worked out for them uh, later in the evening on Long Island, but the big change was Drew O'Connor and Val Terry Pustin in switching spots. Pustin had played on the second line since coming up from the AHL Wilkes-Barre. He moves down to the third line to reunite with Redeem Zahorna. That duo played a lot in the preseason, had a lot of success, especially if you go back and look at the game that they played in Detroit. Very solid performance from both Pustin and Zahorna, and I believe Sam Poulin was centering that line as well uh, in that preseason game, but they reunite them, they move Drew O'Connor back up into the top six, seemed to work out last night, O'Connor had some jump, he was flying around the ice for the second consecutive game, Valtteri Pustin finished with two points, including his first career NHL goal, do you like that switch, and do you think those results will sustain what we saw last night, obviously to a certain level, because last night everything worked for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think because everything worked, <clears throat> and you kind of didn't see too much of these lines in uh, in crisis, per se, that mm. I think Mike Sullivan will stick with them and just kind of see how they can handle certain adversities in the next in the, in the next game. Maybe it's, uh, I mean, in, in the way that he is also riding hot hands and net, he's going to ride hot hands with these lines and likely stick with... Uh, O'Connor on the second line, Pustin on the third, and not in the way of it's a demotion. In the way of we saw great things, we want to, and it was all good. Like there was no bad almost whatsoever. You do kind of want to see how a group can handle, you know, the adversities and, like I said, crises that can't come with an NHL hockey game. So I'd say it sticks together for the sake of Mike Sullivan loves riding that hot hand right now. We saw it saw this exact combination pop off for seven goals, they're going to maintain that. They're going to hold to that. Barring, I mean, Brian Russ cannot return yet. Barring Matt Nieto returning to the ice, I think this will be the exact same lineup uh, this upcoming Saturday against St. Louis. Yeah, it's weird because Valtteri Pustin is the rookie, right? He's 24 years old. Mm -hmm. He's essentially being used as a spark plug everywhere that he's been put. He was initially brought up and placed with a big Genny Malkin because that line was struggling. Riley Smith was struggling to find the back of the net. The chemistry that was there early in the season had been lost to a certain extent. While Terry Pustin goes up there, he kick-started Riley Smith and Evgeny Malkin. I told you before we even started this episode that, you know, in a game where the Penguins went and won 7 to nothing, I was impressed with Riley Smith. I thought he had a couple of really solid plays. I thought he could have scored a couple of goals last night. He looked good. He looked evident. He was present on the ice, which is something that he's kind of faded into the background at certain points, but he looked good. Evgeny Malkin obviously looked good. Two goals, huge game for him. Doing that without Valtteri Pustin, it seems like Pustin went up. He revitalized that line, and now O'Connor steps onto that line and can continue that going because O'Connor is a spark plug in and of itself, maybe not on the offensive side of things, but just in general with his speed, with the way that he plays the game, like a dog on a bone. Meanwhile, Pustin goes down to the third line, and while, yes, it is a one-game sample size, yes, it was a 7-0 game, and you can't take very much of this game and just translate it into what you should expect going forward because it was an aberration. Great aberration for the Penguins, but an aberration nonetheless. 
But he goes, and the first game there, he scores two points. He gets redeemed the horn to score a goal for the first time in 20 games. So the, the, the 24-year-old is being utilized as a spark plug. Great thing for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They need more of that. Obviously, they have one player that could do that that's 18 years old, but he's over in Sweden right now playing really well with Macklin Celebrini. But you look at this change. It definitely worked last night. I think in the at the end of the day, though, I still think Drew O'Connor is best suited for a bottom six role. I just Absolutely. don't I just don't think he's suited for long periods of time to play in the top six. Now, fortunately for the Penguins, they have a really good top six winger that eventually will make his return and will be able to have both O'Connor and Pustinen in the bottom six, which would be huge. Or to put that other top sixer, which is Brian Rust, into the bottom six, which would be huge. It's great to spread out your your talent, spread out your scoring ability. But I feel like if Pustinen can continue this, this is the most important part. Because O'Connor, yeah, he can go up there and he can hold his own. He's never going to go up there and score a lot of goals. He's just not. Mm-hmm. He can go up there and hold his own. But if Pustinen can drop down into the bottom six at the NHL level, which we haven't seen him do yet in his career, he's a very short career, and can continue to produce, not two points a game, but can continue to produce, you know, a point every three games, set up a big goal every three games. That is massive for the Pittsburgh Penguins because not only does that give him better matchups, him against bottom sixes, better matchups, and then the Penguins are in business when it comes to that's a question that is unanswered. That is more offense in the bottom six, which is what we've been asking for for three years now. Yeah, it's just exactly what we've been looking for for this team. It's I kind of lost track of my thought whenever I heard noises upstairs. You're good. Um. Yeah, Valtteri Pustin being used as a spark plug, this is exactly the type of situation he needs to be in. He knows, we all know he has this great shot. He's finally really starting to see it pull through. According to that first goal was big. And don't forget uh, Ricard Raquel in this whole situation too, in this whole yeah. equation. Even he could drop down to this third pairing, if or third line, if he really wanted him to. It's, mm-hmm. you know, there are two goals in two games, and maybe his scoring is starting to wake up a little bit more too. This is a great problem for the Penguins to have. That you're going to have Brian Russ come back to the lineup eventually. Depending on where he goes, it could be the first line instead of Raquel. It could be the second line instead of Drew O'Connor. Um, and then O'Connor maybe and Valtteri Pustin sharing a third line. There's mm-hmm. And also, if you really wanted to, Jesse Pugliarvi still kind of waiting in the Somewhere. wings. We'll, we'll see what happens <laughs> with that one. The, the Penguins have, all of a sudden, this gluttony of options for right-wingers. And, yeah. I mean, wingers, considering... One of the big themes going into the season was our wingers going to be able to play both sides. So yep. you have immense flexibility, and you're almost getting a logjam if you de- if they decide to sign Paul Yarvey, uh to a legitimate deal. Maybe it's a two way. Maybe he's able to fly back and forth between the AHL and the NHL. If you're able to pull that off, suddenly you have this these options that can mm-hmm. go in and out. And yeah. All of a sudden, it's a log jam. But again, it's uh, one of those. It's it's one of those log jams. It's kind of like what it, is the defense is going through right now. It's a bunch of depth guys, though. It's not like it's glue them in. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, it, I I don't know if it's a log jam. I think it's just actual depth, <laughs> and and that's where we're at with this organization, where For they sure. haven't had actual depth since 2018. That we would almost consider it to be a log jam just to have some talent in the bottom six. <laughs> Yeah, it's waking something up in the bottom six is finally happening. It's yeah. it's just the thought of the logjam uh, 
in my head comes because Matt Nieto is likely still going to be in an be in the NHL lineup. Jeff Carter is still going to be around. I mean, mm-hmm. he's not going to the minors, and the most you can do is scratch him. And it's not like he's played awfully. It's not like you could take him out right now. No, he's not. He's well, obviously the Penguins are five one and one their last seven games, but he's certainly not been ailing them since before then. Yeah, so it's not like even he can be taken out of the lineup without reason at this point. It's it's the things are going to get weird as this team gets healthy and if they decide to keep Pulley around. There's going to be some. I don't want to say I don't want to say these are tough decisions because again, it's this is a good problem to have a lot of depth and a lot of offensive talent talented options. It's just going to be interesting to see the decisions the coaching staff and the management crew decide to make with this lineup once things come to fruition because Matt Nieto started skating again, Brian Russ started skating again, and can return, I believe, the first game out of the new year. January 2nd against the Caps. So, in pretty short order, we'll see what this team wants to do with their offense. And it's exciting to see because, again, this is a good problem to have. This means that their depth should be much improved from what it was last year we already knew it was on the defensive side of things then it slipped and then the offense couldn't get going and now the offense seems to be picking up a little i mean if you look at it on paper the penguins depth does still need to wake up a little bit i mean it's a pretty quick drop off to guys under 10 points in the season so far yes um but yeah you you find certain key certain elements some of the right guys get taken out of the lineup i.e jansen harkins and redeem zahorna yeah. And now you're cooking with gas. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go. Because right now, you know, if you, depending on what you think of Yes, Apuliarvi, you might have three players that are everyday NHL players that are on the shelf right now. If those three players come back, which all three of them are skating, again, we don't know what Yes, Apuliarvi's status is. He's not technically on a full contract with the Pittsburgh Penguins. But, and again, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I don't know the difference other, other than Patrick Kane had singular hip resurging resurfacing surgery and yes a had double hip surgery I don't know if they were both resurfacing what the what the actual nitty-gritty of the doctor details are for that one but Patrick Kane albeit coming in with a higher skill set to begin with than yes a doesn't look worse for wear in Detroit now how is that going to last over time we don't know but certainly looks good I think six goals in the first 11 games he's played there so uh very good performance from him just showing you that it's not a it's not a diagnosis that is terminal to your abilities. And again, I don't know the difference between what he had and what Yessa Pugliarvi had. I do know that Pugliarvi is 25, whereas Patrick Kane is 38. So maybe that also helps in Pugliarvi's favor. But regardless, Penguins have three players that are or should be considered everyday NHL players that are on the shelf and working their way back all on the ice skating. And they only have two guys that I can think of off the top of my head that would immediately get taken out of the lineup, which you just mentioned yep. was Jansen Harkins and Redeem Zahorna. What's that third domino? Who is that third domino? And how does the lineup shake out? Those are questions that need answered. Those are questions that, you know, we'll have to wait and see. And those are things that we can ponder as we look forward to the remainder of the 2023-24 season. But... Solid on Valtteri Pusin. Good to see him get going. Good to see Ricard Raquel get going. And when you bring back Brian Rust... You had those two guys that weren't really contributing in the first 30 games, one because he wasn't here and the other because he just didn't score in 17 and then was in for the other handful of games. So if Ryan Russ can come back and look the way he has, it's going to look really good for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, again, ifs, ifs, ifs. 
Can they sustain? Can they continue? Can they build? That's the next question. This is all ifs. This is all hypotheticals because we just need to see it on the ice in a more consistent basis. But we've seen it for the last seven games, Horwat, and that is all dating back to a certain someone speaking to the media. We'll talk about that after this break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. Horwat, I can't believe it's already the end of 2023. I'm excited for 2024, particularly because not only is it a year where personally I have a lot that's going on that should be pretty fun. I already have a lot of trips scheduled, going to see a concert at at Madison Square Garden for the first time. Going to be an exciting year in 2024, but also exciting for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're starting to play a little bit better. Obviously, this all dates back, and I don't know if it's obvious. I mentioned it, I think, three times in front of a microphone over the last 24 hours. This will be the fourth. But Kyle Dubas met with the media back on December 11th. You were there, obviously. He did a lot of things in that press conference. He backed his head coach, saying Mike Sullivan was the man for the job now and far into the future. He also talked a little bit about the depth and said, if it's not working, that's on me. Nobody else. He also put a little bit of a timetable on when his team needs to get their act together before he starts making some drastic changes. He might make a change or two before this little deadline that he circled on the calendar, but he said he's really going to have a full evaluation of the Penguins by the time the All-Star break comes up. I mentioned yesterday that out of the Christmas break, the All-Star break was 14 games away. Nine of those games were against teams ahead of them in the Eastern Conference standings, including last night against the New York Islanders, so they certainly got off to a good start there. But since that December 11th media availability, Penguins are 5-1-1. Their losses in overtime to the Ottawa Senators right before the Christmas break. They didn't show up for the first two periods, and then they dominated the third period, just not able to put it away in overtime. And, of course, the 7-0 loss in Toronto. But 5-1-1 with wins over the Canes and the Islanders, something that they hadn't done in a long time. Is this just a surge or is this something more for the Pittsburgh Penguins? Man, is that hard to really... That's really hard to put a finger on, honestly. It feels... What makes it feel like just a surge is that... Is the way they lost in Toronto. That's that brutal 7-0 defeat. Um, and the way they lost in Ottawa. Yeah, it was they managed to scrape away a point, but they didn't wake up for the first 40. It looked like they were taking an early vacation. And then in overtime, just a couple of gaps from a couple of key players in Malkin and, and Raquel. It's, um, it feels like the way they lost those makes this overall thing look like a surge, but it's the way they won in New York. It's the way they, it's the way they tied the game in Ottawa. It's the way they were finding, able to find a shootout win, also surrendering a point, by the way, to the Carolina Hurricanes. Mm-hmm. They haven't been over-the-top you know, dominating wins. I mean, they've been solid victories, and you'll take the points where you can get them. <clears throat> but they need to find something that makes it feel like it isn't just a surge. In my head, Like it's good to see them winning, and it does look like, on paper, 5-1-1, and one of the hotter teams in the league. And I should have broke down the goal differential for those games to really get an idea of this. Well, 7 nothing and 7 nothing cancel out, which is nice. Yeah, and then <laughs> tack on a couple of one-goal games because of overtime. Suddenly it's, that again, now that's even. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 
not a huge dis- discrepancy in goal differentials. So maybe it does feel like a surge, but it's getting there. On mm-hmm. paper, it looks good. And in, on the standings, it should look good if this continues. But as of now, at least in my head, it's just a surge. But it can break through any day now. Yeah, when comparing this team to some of the best teams in the National Hockey League, including a, a team in the Metropolitan Division in the New York Rangers, I, I think this is a surge. But at the same time, I'm not comparing the Penguins to those teams because even at their best, as currently constructed, I don't see the Pittsburgh Penguins being a team that's going to be a division leader going into the playoffs, just on talent alone. Even if you start the season from now and go forward with everything that we've seen with the the certain slumps out of the way, like Ricardo Kells, this isn't a team that I see as one of the top two or three or even five in the National Hockey League. I think this is more so the team that they're meant to be, though. I, mm-hmm. I still think even when they were struggling, I think back to dominant victories over the Colorado Avalanche, solid three to nothing victory over the Vegas Golden Knights. I think to the fact that they've beaten the Carolina Hurricanes and now the New York Islanders, two teams that just had their number. Yeah, they lost to the Senators in overtime. Senators have had their number as well. If you look at their last three games, they're against teams that the Penguins over the last two seasons have stunk against. And the Senators, for some reason, inexplicably, are one of the teams that they've struggled with the most because that's the team that they've lost to by multiple goals the most out of those three. So they get an overtime point in that. They go through that stretch of those three teams with a 2-0-1 record with five standing points out of a possible six. You know, I look at this and I say, this is more so the team that they're supposed to be. So I think maybe it's a little bit more than just a surge because they've definitely started to show signs that's who they can be for the long term. The penalty kill, while yes, very unsustainable to be 100%, but they're 11 for 11 since Nolachari returned. Let's not forget that their little dip was directly following not just Nolachari going out of the lineup, but Brian Rust, who's a big penalty-killing forward, and, Nola, or, sorry, not Nolachari, but Matt Nieto, who's another big penalty-killing forward. They lost three guys there and tried to integrate maybe a Jansen Harkins. They tried to integrate a little bit more Riley Smith. They tried to integrate more players into that penalty kill. They get one of those pieces back, and they go on an 11-for-11 strike right right after that. That's showing that this penalty kill is elite at that level. The power play, for all its woes, and for all its struggles going 1-for-7 on Saturday against the Ottawa Senators and going scoreless last night against the Ottawa Senators, two of the worst penalty-killing teams in the National Hockey League, they're still 7-for-31 since December 11th. Which, yes, they went 4-for-8 in the first two games following that game, but still 22.6% since December 11th, no matter how you divvy that up, that's good. That's what you need this, this power play to be is at a 20% clip at, you know, that's league minimum right now is around or league, not minimum league average right now is around 22%. So that is a good sign as well. And also you're getting better performances out of Malkin's line. You're getting better performances out of Raquel, who's starting to look like he did last season with Crosby and Jake Gensel and goaltending continues to be a plus, they're showing that it's not just one performance that is exceeding expectations right now. It is performances around the team that are starting to get back up to the level that we expected them to be at at the start of the season, which is why I think that while, yes, they're not a top team in the National Hockey League, they never will be, they are looking like a team that should be, or not never will be, that was a little harsh, but (laughs) won't be this season uh, with this team currently constructed the way it is, but... They're a team that should be a playoff team, and they're starting to act like it. 
Yeah, it's <clears throat> it, it it is just a plus four goal differential in these last seven games. By the way, so there is that little bit there. Yeah, they're not going to blow teams away. They're not. They're not. They might on occasion, considering ten against the San Jose Sharks early in the year, seven mm. against the Islanders just now. Yeah, but. In the in the grand scheme of things, if this is going to turn into something, it does have to start with a little surge. It's yeah. just the start of what can be um, one of the hotter runs in the league. I mean, I, I I don't know the full stats of it, but how many teams are five one and one in the last seven right now? How many teams at this moment um, are scoring at the kind of pace that the Penguins are? Yeah, they picked up seven, and yeah, the goal differential is you know plus five, but. They scored seven last night, four against Ottawa um, in certain ways, and then notched down that, if you want to go all the way back, if you really wanted to, 10 against the, 10 against the Sharks. Their goal differential is still pretty solid. There is still definitely things to grow on. It is just now a matter of finding that rhythm, finding that consistency, and they've got huge games coming up um, against teams still ahead of them in the division, and we'll just have to see where things can go, and... Every every turnaround starts with a surge somewhere. Yeah. And like I mentioned, there are now 13 games between now and the All-Star break, that time when Kyle Dubas mentioned that he was going to have a full idea of what this team is. And a lot of those games, as, as, as we've stated, are against teams above them in the standings in the Eastern Conference. You win those games, it's the easiest way to move up in the standings. And they're only, they were five points out of a playoff spot entering yesterday. Now they're three points out of a playoff spot and only five points outside of second place in the Metropolitan Division. Now again, there's a lot of teams between the Penguins and the Islanders for second place, but they need to start stacking performances and taking care of the teams in front of them. And when that happens, nights like last night will happen. A lot of the other teams surrounding them in the wild card race lost last night. That's why the Penguins jumped two teams in general. That's why the Penguins went from five standing points back to three standings points back of a playoff spot. Just take care of the teams in front of you, and everything else should take care of itself if you're winning hockey games. So uh, stellar performances all around last night. Uh, we didn't really talk much about Malkin. We didn't talk much about Tristan Jari, but both of them having very big nights as well. Jari getting his fourth shot out of the season back and the top of the leaderboard for the NHL and Evgeny Malkin obviously passing Sergei Fedorov for second most goals in the history of the NHL among Russian-born players. So congratulations to them. And Horowat, I'll send it over to you one last time if there's anything else that we didn't go over because there was a lot to talk about yeah. coming out of last night's game. There was so much to talk about. I mean, Patterson put up four points in, in itself yep. for career, uh, high. career high in a single game. Yep. Uh, Tristan Jari retaking the shutout lead in... Uh, the NHL. Hey, I, I, I'll, I'll dive a little deeper into this at some point, but him and Nadelkovich could genuinely go for the Jennings this year. Let that one settle in. I forget what what the exact definition of the Jennings is. Uh, just the least amount of goals allowed by a tandem. And so far, they they were third last I checked. And that was a couple weeks ago now, but they were third. I don't know if the I don't know if the Leafs game got in the way of that, but it wasn't. Uh, they weren't far off. That's a genuine thing that they could shoot for. The Penguins have allowed 89 goals this season, which is the eighth least in the National Hockey League. Oh, 72 damn. is the least with the LA Kings, who are the only team under 80. Well, a lot changed in the last few weeks, I didn't look. <laughs> but that being said, that's still something they could legitimately go for. They're like We're still not halfway through the season. There's a lot of hockey still to be played. Mm-hmm. Four shutouts from, <clears throat> from Jari's a good start. I believe it's just the one from Nadelkovich and then the shared one with uh, Helberg. 
there's all kinds of positives coming from the netminding crew in this um, in this team right now. Uh, but that's most of it. This this team's rolling right along. They've got some gaps and some hiccups that need to be figured out. They've they're still icing uh, Harkins and Zahorna, but soon enough those will get figured out as well. I just wanted to look really quickly before we went to make sure that I have the right thing. But yeah, you mentioned who has shutouts this year. And I thought about it. I was like, that's kind of crazy. That's six. Six shutouts this season for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They've shut out their opponents in 18% of their actual games. Shut out. That's Not hilarious. just defeated, but shut out. Goaltending has been goaltending has been an unmitigated success. And we would have thought, and man, heading into the season, we were legitimately concerned over who was going to play defense on this team. We got Latang, Carlson, and we thought Ty Smith could make this roster. We were asking ourselves, man, who's playing defense? The bottom six, we thought, yeah. and then they didn't. Uh, it, but we found out it's going to be the goaltending playing defense and the yeah. defense really <laughs> stepping up. Chris Latang playing great defensively. Marcus yeah. Pedersen taking another step forward. Eric Carlson, for his gaffes, uh, started the start of the year pretty decent. More expected more, or uh, more provided more defensively than was expected. Yep. Um, and then that third pairing just needed to be figured out. Seems like it's still trying to be figured out, but yeah. Uh, there have been steps in the right direction. Uh, suddenly, everyone's playing defense. Yeah. Uh, there's certain games where it seems like the system just allows the Penguins to shut other teams down, and it's part of its puck possession, part of its just team defense. And last night was one of those games where, well, yes, Tristan Jari wasn't you know, tested all too much when it comes to the quantity of shots. There were some quality opportunities, and goaltending fixes a lot of it. You know, it, it hides a lot of issues, and mm -hmm. goaltending has certainly done that for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I wouldn't say they're a great defensive team, but they can be when they want to be, and the Pittsburgh Penguins have also had great goaltending, which makes this team look a lot better on the defensive end of things uh, than you would normally think, considering the way that some of their defenders have performed, like the third pairing in Ryan Graves. But uh, we've talked about a lot over the past 48 minutes. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Penguins have two games over the weekend, back-to-back -back against the St. Louis Blues on December 30th, and then New Year's Eve, 6 o'clock, Penguins-Islanders, the rematch from this 7-0 shellacking that the Penguins laid on them on Long Island. We'll see if the Penguins are able to continue to climb up the standings and continue their hot stretch since December 11th. They've answered Dubas's call. We'll see if they continue to stay on the line. That is it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.